This episode of the Fastest Known Podcast is brought to you by Koros. Wearables from Koros help you explore perfection by offering the longest battery life in its class for each of its watch models. For example, in full GPS mode, you get 60 hours of battery life. That's as much as the current FKT on Nolan's 14. Or track in ultra mode to get an astonishing 150 hours of battery life, enough to get an FKT on Vermont's long trail and then some. Koros is proudly worn by many great runners, including Camille Heron, Timothy Olson, Hayden Hawks, Magdalena Boulay, and many others. Track your next FKT with a watch from Koros. Visit koros.com. C-O-R-O-S.com. Welcome back to the Fastest Known Podcast. 30 minutes of scintillating information, and this time we might go a little over 30 because we have a topic today, speed versus safety. An amazing topic when it comes to FKTs and a lot of the emerging ways we're going into the mountains now. I have two guests today who exemplify this topic extremely well. First, we have Bill Wright, who is the author of Speed Climbing, How to Climb Faster and Better, and the organizer of an event that we're going to talk about a little later. And we have Kyle Richardson, who is the FKT in the LA Freeway and recently set the FKTs on some of the iconic flat irons outside of Boulder, Colorado. This is going to be amazing. Welcome, Bill and Kyle. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having us. So we're going to get rolling with Bill here. Um, you literally, with Han Florian, wrote the book, which, by the way, is for sale on Amazon now for $96. <laughs> it's sold out. Yeah. I traded, I traded a copy that I had to uh, Louis Wu for one of his GPS watches, his Chorus GPS watch. Oh, you got a Chorus watch out of your book. Yeah. Well, that's, a, that's a fair deal. <laughs> there, was some, there was some training advice thrown there, too, but still, yeah, because he mentioned that it was quite expensive. Okay. And we need to print some more. Well, the interesting example, well, I'll set a, for a larger context before we go to an example, which is right now we have a lot of ultra runners getting into doing different things. You know, they used to maybe go out there and run, jog forever on groomed trails, but now they're getting tired of that. They're going up into the mountains, maybe ski mountaineering. Do they have avalanche safety skills or not? Probably not. And same thing now. We have people doing the LA Freeway, which you did, Kyle, the Whirl outside of Salt Lake City, uh, Ptarmigan Traverse, which has glaciers, you know, interesting mountain things. And they're ultra runners. So they're very fit. I'm just going to make a little comment here. They're very fit. They can get way in there. But do they have the technical skills and training and experience to stay safe? So that's an overarching theme I think we're seeing in our sport. Uh, Any comments on that? What have you two seen? Yeah, I mean, I think it's super interesting because it's easy to be like drawn to these roots because they're super aesthetic, they're beautiful, they're iconic lines. And maybe you could sort of overthink some of the practice that goes into doing a route like the world or the LA freeway. And so I think maybe we're moving less away from sort of building a foundation of needed skills to be competent in the mountains and knowing route finding all these different little, I guess, things that could help you have a successful trip on one of these routes and, People are, yeah, just kind of maybe getting in over their heads a little bit because it's like, oh, we see that these people are doing it. I want to go do it too. I want to be a part of this. And they'll jump into it. And it's, yeah, it's just something to to think about. And I'm not sure exactly how I feel about it because there are some people that can get away with it, maybe on-siding a route or whatnot. But I think as a majority, it's, uh, I think everyone needs to come at routes 
that you just discussed from a background of practice and uh, being very humble about, you know, what you're about to get yourself into. And On this podcast, we've had Mike Foote, who said the same thing, and Luke Nelson, who said the same thing. So it's a it's a developing theme. Oh, and Adam Campbell, yeah. who, of course, uh, had a terrible experience up there in British Columbia a number of years ago. So, Bill, you're, you're a strong alpinist. You, you're a multi-sport guy. You're an excellent climber as well as a runner and a scrambler. So what uh, what are you seeing overall in terms of speed versus safety in the mountains? Well, I I can't comment about any any specific individual whether they're in over their head or not. Um, I do like to emphasize uh, mountains are serious places, and and most of these ultra runners I'm sure probably know it. Um, just that. Yeah, these things should not be taken lightly. They're going to take a lot of practice. I mean, the LA Freeway is a great example, I think. Uh, nobody in the world could come and break Kyle's record on site. No one in the world. Killian has zero chance of breaking that record on site. It take, and, but he, he's you know very experienced in the mountains, and he knows to, for him, even, he'd have to rehearse some of that. He'd have to learn it. He'd have to, and he, you know, he shows respect for those things. He knows what he's getting into and I just think that's the emphasis is that these are very serious places to be and you need to temper that with your speed at least slow down on the on the most difficult parts and that's a heck of a point of course Keeling Jornet the the best mountain trail ultra runner of our generation by far and I don't want to speak for him, but we certainly heard him saying the exact same things, actually. Yeah. And he says, respect it, practice it, train. He's, he's unequivocal about that. And Doug Meyer wrote an article called The Killian Effect. Because they've yeah. seen some deaths, literally, in Chamonix. As people look at the drone fin- footage and there's Killian out there, whee, this is fun, having a great time. And they don't see that behind that, Killian is a serious mountain athlete who practices craft. So someone puts on shorts and a t-shirt and goes up there above the Aguil du Midi, and they're in, they could be in for a world of yeah. uh, sorrow. I think it's also interesting, especially with technology and GPS watches, you can now go onto the FKT website, you can find a route, and you can link yourself over to Strava and download a GPX file and put that file onto your watch. And suddenly you have all this kind of beta on your watch and you can just follow your watch. And I think there's certain routes like the LA freeway that you're not going to be able to do that with your GPS <laughs> no watch. No way. <laughs> so maybe like when it, like the, the AT or the you know these longer trails or something that's less technical, yeah, you can just follow your watch and you can get through it fine and you'll be fine. But yeah, some of these more technical routes, you're not going to be able to do that. Like you can look at the map, but you'll, you know, those are going to there's more consequences. It's just more difficult to read the terrain based off just you know a line on your watch. So that's something to think about too. The line on your watch isn't going to pick up that crux chimney on the yeah. north face of Toll, is it? Yeah, yeah. Is it? No. no. Oh, yeah. GPS is, it would be somewhat helpful on LA Freeway, but it's, it's way too complicated yeah. to, to guide you through that. So I think to your point, when people getting in over their heads, they could potentially go down that route of like, oh, I have the file on my watch. I can go do it. And it's... It's it might it may work for some routes, but I think it's sort of it's just not going to be the way to do something safe and sort of successful. It's something more challenging. Well, and my, speaking of getting in over your heads, I mean, Killing got in over his head, right? Yeah. He had to be rescued after the Guidi Mini, yeah, because he went too light, and you know that's 
definitely, I think, a, a little bit of a black mark on him yeah. just because you got to be prepared to turn around or rescue yourself. Totally. The guy that experienced sort of turned around. Yeah, right. That's a good point. I like that call out on the GPS track because, like you say, on a trail, you can tell you which fork to take in the trail exactly. very, very yeah. well. But if you're on a technical route, it can't tell you where the next hold is. No. <laughs> <laughs> and that's interesting. What I like about that personally is that we don't want it to do that. No, not at all. We don't uh, want that beta. What we, I think, if I may postulate, we want to go out there and learn our natural environment to spend a few years practicing the craft, and that actually is more rewarding and more interesting than being able to get the perfect beta and go out and flash it. 100%. Yeah, very true. Um, I mean, I've tried the LA Freeway twice now. (laughs) (laughs) And the last time I did it, just this past summer, I tried it, I failed because I didn't do that. I got to so tired in the very end, and it was a crux section coming up that I hadn't previewed. So I felt it was too dangerous to do it in my current state without seeing it, without knowing it. And so, so I have to try again. But you have to go back and learn these things and treat yeah. them with respect or, or bail. You made the call, Bill. Nice work. Let's shift to another example which is the TDF. Now, there's two TDFs, one in France and another one outside of Boulder. So the Tour de Flatirons is your invention, and it's an amazing event. It's five, a series of five races that have a bit of risk involved, I think, and are semi-technical. It's what we call scrambling, which is halfway between running and climbing, it's a certainly a subjective term, but we use the term scrambling. And so, Bill, you feel like you're a little bit on the line here. I mean, how have you managed to be an organizer of something where you know that someone could get hurt? It's definitely on the line. And it's definitely climbing. I mean, there's we do routes that they're not really hard, but they're rated 5.6, so this isn't just fourth-class scrambling. In fact, in the last tour, we had a route up, a, a route with some couple of thin sections and a little bit of crumbly rock. And one of our <laughs> veterans, Stefan, was like, I can't believe you got 30 people to race up that <laughs> rock. Um, so, 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 so Kyle's nodding his head here. Kyle, was that a tough section there? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a heads up. But, you, you know, it's like Bill's made this clear that you had to go practice and preview the route before you race. There's no way that you'd be able to race if you hadn't done it before. I think I probably did it three or four times before the race, so I kind of knew where I was going. But that is the most important thing that you can do is is know what you're doing before you actually go do it. And so if you're on-siding it, it's just, there's no way that it's going to go well. Like so, Yeah, it's right. just too dangerous. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's, there's a bunch of rocks that I won't, we won't put in the tour because I don't feel they can be safe. But these are lower angle things, so so you generally stay on your on your legs. But they need to be treated with with some seriousness. And I definitely am sort of haunted every year. I mean, Christian Griffith, who raced some of these early tours, always has said it's like eventually somebody's going to screw up. And and that that haunts me somewhat. Yeah, and uh, I certainly, sure. <laughs> if I if I knew that was going to happen, I would stop it. 
but or at least stop my promoting of it. And so I, I talk about that a lot before these things. Um, but everybody, you know, there's a whole spectrum of risk, right? You can get you can get hurt walking to your mailbox. Yeah. So. Well, Bill, as Kyle just mentioned, um, have to preview it. You've established amazingly well, in my opinion, a lot of rules, or we could say guidelines. And so in case any listener is thinking, oh, yeah, I think I'll go out to Boulder and jump in this. That's not really how it works, is it? I mean, yeah. how, how does one get into the Tour de Flatirons? Yeah, to get into Tour de Flatirons, you have to be a member of Satan's Minions. And to be a member of Satan's Minions, you have to pass what we call an interview scramble, and which is basically... Don't make me nervous. Bill, I have to pause here. You, you, you were telling me, I mean, that's an amazing rule, isn't it, Kyle? Yeah, Don't crazy. make me nervous. Uh, this is subjective, but it's real because Bill's yeah. super experienced. And Bill, you told me the story on an interview scramble. Someone threw a dino, and I was just shocked. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely <laughs> failed people before, although not very many because it's not trivial to get an interview. You can't just get an interview. In fact, a number of people have contacted me this year to get in the group. And to even get an interview, you have to have a round-trip time on the first or the third flat iron, trailhead to trailhead, under an hour. And that, that sounds really fast, and it is fast, but it's not really elite speed. Kyle's pushing uh, under 30 minutes. Um, but it does, So, and it's not really meant to be an elitist speed thing. It's meant to be a measure of your experience. To get a time under an hour, it proves that you've been on these rocks a lot. And so, yeah, just to get an interview. <laughs> but then once you're there, uh, you, you can't make me nervous. Like you said, that one guy threw it down. He didn't fall because he said, oh, my left hand was good, but he made me nervous. So that failed me. I don't want you doing that when you're out. You can, when you're doing stuff on your own, you can do whatever you want. But but. Like I say, I live in, in fear of somebody making a mistake in one of these races. So we talk about this a lot, and, and new, new minions usually have to rig before they race. You rig before you race, rig before you run, um, to see it. Because people think they're pretty fast and move pretty quickly on the flat irons, but this is definitely another level yeah, up another level, yeah. of intensity that you need to sort of ease into it need to ease into it so we're trying to be it sounds hilarious that we try to be careful with something that's so inherently dangerous but we do well my recollection is that what's that thing on the north side of the first flat iron that someone fell off of and sprained their ankle like four years ago and that is almost the only anything i can recall am i correct in that that's the only time that was ollie g yeah, <laughs> on the, what we call the Gregory Ridge, which is a little bit chossy. It's like although an alpine it, ridge. Kind yeah, of, yeah, but it can be it can be safely done as long as you treat it with respect and you're careful, mm-hmm. and and you can't flail at all. So yeah, that's the only time we've ever had somebody fall on an actual scramble, and he self rescued and he was quite embarrassed by it because it was his first year in tour, and and I think. It, it, it's something that I do worry about because he was he was the he was sort of the sweet spot of somebody who's dangerous generally in society um, a really fit macho twenty year old male who wanted to make his mark or show that he was can play with the big boys and he and he and he can sort of but 
but usually you need at least a year before you can do it. You need to be more conservative. It's too dangerous to try to be too aggressive yeah. in this too early. Totally. And we had, uh, I thought Jeff this year yeah. was in danger of that. And I, I talked to him a little bit, and uh, he really did a great job. Yeah, he was uh, right. he, he's, he, he tempered it. He even waited for somebody at one yeah. point. He wasn't sure of the right route. So he's super fit. He's going he's gonna to do great. Yeah. And he made good decisions. Well, this is a good thing to clarify, isn't it? Uh, we'll talk to Kyle in a minute uh, for his perspective on it. But it's a race. Everyone's going super hard. There's no question about that. And there is some risk, but it's not intended to be risky. This is an important distinction. You look at things like the Red Bull Rampage, and it's 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 a thrill sport. It's If you watch it on TV, it's supposed to make people scared just watching. This is definitely not that. <laughs> And so this is interesting. So a listener might think, wow, you guys are all risk takers. You're in it for the thrill. No, I, that's not my sense of this at all. We're not in it for the thrill. Yeah. We're in it for the, the, the technical camaraderie of being on the rock and moving quickly. That, that's a big distinction I want people to hear. Absolutely. No, for sure. Um, and that's, that's part of the reason why I call it scrambling and not soloing. I'm not trying to aggrandize it as... As risk taker, we're not soloing. We're just scrambling, and it's very, very social in general. And the Tour de Flatirons, obviously, like you say, is people compete very hard and go very hard. But scrambling in general, and the minions in general, is, is sort of like a Via Ferrata type experience in that you're out scrambling, scrambling, doing cool problems in really neat places. But you're right shoulder to shoulder with your buddies. The conversation's flowing. It's different than a rock climb. It's different than a run. It's it's great, but. You always want to see how fast you can go. So <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> once once a year, we do the Tour de Flatirons to go all out. And uh, once a year, Kyle wins. So this there's five <laughs> events. Now, I believe this is the second year in a row Kyle has won every single event. That's true. Yeah. I'm That's tied, a, tied with Matthias. It has been done once before. Matthias Mesner uh, won the Tour two years in a row, winning all stages as well. So no one's ever won, I think, 11 stages in a row. <laughs> right now, it doesn't look like there's a there's a viable challenger to Kyle, but Cordis might be back next year. He's a previous winner of the yeah. tour. Well, Kyle, how does, that, how does it look to you? So you're cooking. I mean, I was when you came down the third flat iron, trail yeah i mean you were full strides riding <laughs> out you know leaning your upper body forward doing what looked like a sub five minute mile on very rocky terrain so how does this feel to you i mean it feels very in control in in the moment for me and i i always go back to just sort of the practice and i've been doing this for five plus years and i did it for a long time or i been scrambling the flat irons a long time before I even started racing with Bill. So I've really developed sort of the knowledge of all the rocks and then sort of the skill set and the technique that goes into feeling comfortable on steeper terrain. And then you sort of add in the competition and speed element. It, it feels like very natural to me. And I don't feel like I'm doing anything crazy or extra dangerous or taking unneeded risk. It's everything seems very calculated. And it's like I've done the first flat iron 300 plus times. I know every little hold. And so I, when I go to, I guess, set a speed record or race, it's kind of all of these things line up and I'm, I, I feel good. And I sort of just, I don't know, it, it, it kind of just feels very natural to me. Um, 
and the thing with racing is it brings you even more so in the present than when you were just out scrambling with your buddies right from the start from the trailhead you're instantly put in this flow state and you're just so focused and uh you're kind of just in your own little bubble and you before you know it it's over and you're you're in so much pain but it's kind of this like really crazy thing that you can go do in like half an hour or you know so that that's a great point and focus i think is is really key there when you're in these races you are so focused and and Kyle, yeah, he has so much experience, that, but he knows he has to be so focused. And the only, the most of the injuries that have ever happened in Tour de Flanders are always on the run out, because as you say, it's a very technical run out. And when we did a wave start here, so I wasn't as far behind Kyle as, <laughs> as it's going to sound, but when I was heading up, Kyle was coming down, and I saw that in action, and it was, it was incredible in my mind. I mean, his stride was so huge <laughs> on such technical terrain. I mean. I, my ankle physically couldn't take that landing. But like I say, he's put in a lot of practice to it. And when he's on the rock, I think that he's, he shows, you know, like I say, a lot of experience. And he shows a lot of respect. And on these particular rocks, he can go very fast all the time because 300 laps. But I'm sure he's going considerably slower when he did the Red Devil with only four laps. And knowing that, that the, the technical parts of this are short. And so it's smart to slow down on that and do those solidly. Yeah. Plenty of time to go fast on easier terrain. And that's, I think, key on all this sort of stuff. Now, LA, Even something as long as the L.A. freeway, if you're really fit, um, like Kyle, you can move fast on most of this ground. Although for most people, I can't move fast pretty much <laughs> on any of the ground. <laughs> but there are, there are sections in there that are very serious, and you've got to treat them that way. Slow down. Be solid. That I, Bill, I'm glad you caught Kyle's descent as as I did. Was, <laughs> I wish I had a video of that. That was a dramatic descent, wasn't it? it blew my mind. It really did. I, I said he looked like his stride was 20 feet. It's probably, I'm sure it was an exaggeration, but it was just, it was mind blowing. Yeah. Right. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you. It's funny, Bill. I, you and I hadn't recapped from this. So yeah. you and I had the same recollection. And then Kyle called out something, one of our themes of this conversation, which is over 300 times up the first flat iron. So this was anything but an on-site. Yeah. So you, you, you put in the work. For sure. Lot, lots of work. And I don't really see it as work. It's just, it's so much fun. I like get out there every day because, it, yeah, it's simply a lot of fun. And that's what brings me back in time and time again so I don't know you know it, it never gets old <laughs> absolutely yeah. and I was just uh, working with our our drone pilot um Bill Hansen going up the first flat iron he wants he wants to be a minion too but he's just not he's just not ready yet yeah you know? his, his feet are slipping and he was and I was trying to console him a little bit well how often do you do the first flat iron he might do it two or three times a year well and I say I bet Kyle does 500, you know, <laughs> yeah. if you add up all his rocks, yeah, how many yeah, days yeah, you get yeah. out, 100 days a year, probably do three rocks, you're doing three or 400 rocks yeah. a year. And that makes a difference. Totally. That makes a difference. Well, how do we translate this up into our, into our wider audience? We have a few themes here. One, which is practice is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. You actually want to practice. Yeah. You want that experience. You want that knowledge. And then Bill has his other rules about don't make me nervous. 
And that's kind of a, it sounds subjective, but that's not bad. And then Bill described how you yourself backed off the L.A. freeway. You got to that, I think it was the North Ridge of Arapahoe, wasn't it? It was a rickery. We didn't get that far, right? We were just finished uh, Navajo. Navajo. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you're looking, looking at, at the last section. and That section's one of the hardest. Uh, right. So, <laughs> and, 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 so I, have no, I have no good excuse there because at least three different people, people told me it was one of the cruxes of the Traverse. And I figured, oh, I'm a good route finder. I'll be okay. And if I was fresh, probably would have been okay. Yeah, it been might fine. have still been okay. But but as that great quote from Vince Lombardi, that that, uh, that weakness makes cowards of us all. Or fatigue. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. Yeah. And when you're really tired, that looks really scary. Well, <laughs> you pulled the plug, and you probably made a good call. And that's you're one of the most experienced guys out there, so that's a lesson for anyone listening to this, that you can frankly say that you decide not to continue because you didn't feel safe. And it's at some level, it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I don't <laughs> think there's any particular reason to risk our lives. And Bill, you're also very familiar with the very familiar with the fast speed climbing in the valley, which has a little bit of a lesson for us. Um, you're, you're co-author of the book I mentioned, which I would put in the show notes, but since you can't buy it, I won't do that. <laughs> no reason to do that now. But I will put in the show notes an article on Kyle in uh, I think it's in the Boulder Weekly, yeah. so you get a little more details and a nice photo of Kyle, and, and so I'll put that in the written show notes. But now we go to the valley, where obviously speed climbing itself is just at an absurdly high level, yeah. and they've been toying with these ethics for decades. At the recent Real Rock film tour, there's uh, Alex and Tommy, Honold and Caldwell, best climbers in the world, and they're talking about their nose record, and it's dangerous. They have, the perspective, if I may say so, I think is a little different. They're kind of calling it as it is. How, how do you feel? I mean, they're almost saying, yeah, this is really dangerous. I mean, you watch it and you're just like, oh, wow, this is <laughs> crazy. <laughs> it's not definitely not a flat iron scramble. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a whole different level. The fact that that record's got so fast now that I think... You have no chance to compete for that record unless you can free climb 513, at least 513. And you're going to take some huge risks. I mean, you're going to, the, way, the way you do it is carry less gear and massive runouts. So, but climbing is different in that by reducing the gear you carry and going lighter and lighter, makes it much more dangerous. I mean, with, with running and long runs, you, you know, if you reduce your gear, uh, you're more exposed for sure, but it's much easier to pull the plug on something like that, and you're not, you're not uh, risking your life with every step. And when those guys get 100 feet out from gear, they're probably risking their life, life with every single movement at that point. Yeah. Right. It's, it's just that flat out, isn't it? Totally. But... You know, they're the best in the world, so they clearly feel comfortable enough doing it. So, And they've practiced it a ton. You know, they've done countless laps, so it's it's similar in the fact that, obviously, you know, the first flat iron is maybe not that much of an interest to them and sort of going fast, but it's, you know, when you kind of expand up the grades and look at them as athletes or whatnot, you're like, okay, I can see why they're drawn to this and how they can get up, get up it so quick. 
but yeah, definitely when you watch the film and you see the all the slack in the rope, it's it's pretty wild. <laughs> That's a good point. It, it it is really on the same spectrum of you doing the first flat iron. I mean, they're just much better climbers. They're they're you know Alex Honnold, of course. Yeah. He's he can climb up El Cap in that style. You know, a hundred times, a thousand times, maybe without falling in that in that style, um, as Kyle can do on the first flat iron. But take a regular hiker; they're going to be probably just as a greater, probably more risk of dying on the first flat iron than El Cap. Because they won't be able to get high enough up, 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 up El Cap to fall off and die. Well, in the first flat iron, you might get be able to get high enough to yeah, die. I mean, yeah. So, so it just depends on on your your skill level, and that's why it's hard to make blanket statements over what's what's crazy and what's dangerous and what's too much. It depends on your skill level and what what preparation you've put into yeah, it. It's different for everyone. Well, let's bring it back to running. Get back into the land of the mortals. <laughs> yeah, really. And I, here's something that's bothered me. Uh, you can read uh, you know, the, what's on REI, you know, what the Forest Service puts out, you know, the 10 essentials to always take on every hike, you know, that sort of thing. None of which I've ever taken. <laughs> I've been around a long time, and I don't really bring a first aid kit, and I've been all over the world. Um, so what safety is kind of an interesting issue to me. I'm not sure if gear does equate to safety, um, in terms of climbing, it can, because if you're going to take a really light rack, you're not going to be able to protect the climb. And so if you fall, you're going to be fairly, relatively unprotected. But when it comes to running the type of things that most of us are doing, extra gear might not make you safe. So what do you guys think about that? What does make you safe? Yeah, it's interesting, especially when we start to talk about speed of a safety, because I like to think about when you're going up, let's say, Long's Peak in the summer, there's definitely an advantage to going faster. You're not maybe not caught in an afternoon thunderstorm. So balancing this, oh, if I go fast enough, I'm actually going to be a little safer and I don't have to bring as much. But then on the other side, if it's out of your comfort zone and you're getting in over your head, like you obviously don't want to pick that style. You want to bring more stuff that will allow you to be more comfortable, you know, have more options to bail. You know, it's... It's definitely an interesting sort of duo to think about those two in relationship. Um, so that's true. You know, speed in, in climbing certainly started with a show of competency, and in alpine climbing, it's a cliche, but it's so true. And that speed is safety. Frequently, you know, if you need to get up to the, if you can't retreat, you need to get up to the top of the mountain before you can start down because of, of weather concerns or your weather window is. Is only two days and the route's big. If you can't climb it in two days, you either can't climb it. Um, so, so that's just a natural progression, I think, to go from from competency to just all out speed. But but you asked what what makes you safe in the mountains. I think what at least in this context, by far, what makes you the safest is your mind, is your judgment of of knowing when to turn around and. And when, when I've, I've run up Long's Peak as well, carrying just nothing besides, uh, yeah, nothing, just a shorts and T-shirt. It's a bit long to go with no water or no food, but, but I know when I start up like that, if anything goes wrong, any weather comes up, anything goes wrong, I have to turn around because I'm not prepared. I have to turn around. Yeah, right. That's true. Well, this, this is interesting. I want to just 
come back to what's something you just said, Bill, which is in a lot of instances, speed is safety. And that's very interesting. I firmly believe that. And that if you're out there and the weather comes in or something goes bad, uh, the darkness is coming in, to be able to move quickly and efficiently is by far the most safe thing to do. And you could have a bivy sack on your back, but you really want to deploy that. It's almost safer just to, for where we are and for what we're doing, go for the car, right? We're not in Antarctica. We're generally speaking close to safety and just a matter of retreating efficacy and getting to it. But what you just said was what I was going to postulate as well, Bill. If I was going to list my three factors for safety, it's number one, exactly what you just said, good judgment. That trumps any piece of equipment you can possibly carry. Good judgment is almost everything. Number two on my list would be a good partner. And number three was start early in the morning. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty good. (laughs) And along with that start early in the morning thing is is maybe a good headlamp. (laughs) (laughs) Just because if you can see, you can move. And as you say, um, frequently, it's better just to keep moving and go for the car versus waiting it out not always and there's lots especially things get more technical it's quite different but but yeah good headlamp <laughs> start early you can keep moving when it gets dark yeah because you look at you know accidents in north american mountaineering and other apocryphal tales and it's often someone got a late start they slept in it's getting dark you make a mistake mistakes happen at times like that and they tend not to happen at uh when it's sunny and warm outside yeah I think uh, to go back uh, on the speed versus safety thing, I think it's interesting to think about the scrambling in the flatlands where I would say that speed in scrambling actually doesn't make you safer if you do not have the foundation and the technique. So maybe when you're just running and it's not that technical and you're not in exposed situations, you can get away with that style, but in, in the flatlands, definitely doesn't work like that. So. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, we say speed is safety. I think that's for for big adventures, um, big mountains, things like that. But going for an FKT doesn't make you safer from <laughs> not going for an FKT. Yeah, yeah. That's for sure. Well, I, a number of years ago, I was called by a friend. He said, do you want to go up flat top? You know, you know it's a really mm-hmm. good climb up there. And he called me at 8 in the morning. I said, no. End of discussion. <laughs> he called me at 8 in the morning. No. He found another partner. They went up there, they completed the route, they were on top, boom. His partner they had picked up that morning was literally killed by lightning. Oof. But that's how it rolls in, in the Colorado Rockies. You don't really want to be up there past 1 p.m. And equipment wouldn't really have helped him out very well. No. Right. Well, I wouldn't want to have gone because I don't like dealing with parking when you go at 8 o'clock. <laughs> yeah, that is true. <laughs> but, and that's, that's one of the reasons why I think the L.A. freeway is particularly difficult because you're up there for most people two days, and even for Kyle, you know, 17 hours or so. Mm-hmm. And, and you're right. We have a lot of electrical storms there. That's why the time of year that you go for something like that is yeah. key. And then, once again, you're going to have to bail. I mean, don't die up there to get the record. So you got to be prepared to bail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's not easy to bail from some of it, those spots. It's not, not only is it not easy to bail, but uh, I, hopefully your mind wouldn't, wouldn't make you go, ah, oh, I've invested 14 hours in this, only three hours to go. It's not worth it. Yeah. 
Um, but that's tough sometimes. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good, Bill. I think some of, you, of your level of experience and accomplishment saying it's time to bail and you've done it is, is helpful. It's helpful to have people hear that. Totally. And, and Kyle is uh, a couple years younger than you, age 23. <laughs> and Kyle's nodding his head. You feel the same way. Totally. Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of times that I've turned around in the mountains just because I knew that it wasn't going to end up well. And so, yeah, the mind is super critical. And you had a terrifying experience over in Europe, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Just, yeah, caught up high above tree line and a storm moves in and electrical, you know, electrical activity. That's kind of some of the most terrifying moments I've yeah. had in the mountains is with lightning. So, yeah. Well, now that we're on that topic, good point. So what, I'll ask you both, what examples do you have of, you know, close calls what was it just a pure accident because accidents are real accidents can happen or is it something that could have been avoided with a little better technique or thinking so what's your example Kyle uh there's two moments that come to mind and they're both uh, being caught up high in an electrical storm and I think both of those instances I thought oh I could kind of outrun the storm and I was lucky both times but it's th- moving forward that's definitely something that you know I don't I don't need to play around with that that uh that thought of oh I can just you know move quicker than the storm because that's not how it works and luckily I've had no close calls with scrambling or climbing or anything like that I've been lucky in that in that realm but the the electrical activity is definitely not something to mess with up high in the summer so I've had one close call chasing an FKT back in the days when I could Chase an FKT, <laughs> and it was it was uh, trying to get the fastest known time for Grays and Tories, which are two Colorado 14ers, in winter from the highway. And the fastest time I knew it was by a buddy of mine, a very, very fast trail runner, Jeff Ballier. And the only reason why I thought I could beat it was because he wasn't a skier. And I went on skis. Um, I could do the first five miles about on skis, five miles in, five miles out. And the advantage, of course, is going to be coming down. But up top with just micro spikes on my ski boots, these are just Nordic ski boots. I had bagged grays and tories, and then I was coming back across. Now from the, the saddle between the two peaks, you're supposed to climb up a little bit where there's a boot pack that goes across that avoids a very steep snow field to get back to sort of the trail. But, God, I wanted to climb up. I was chasing an FKT. <laughs> and so I thought I could just, just microspike across this snow slope with just my ski poles and have an ice axe. And, and, uh, and I fell. And it was rock hard. And I tumbled, and I knew there was rocks and cliffs down below. And I thought I was going to die. Definitely thought I was going to die. It's probably over in 20 seconds. Um, where I was putting out absolutely 100% effort to try to stop by, by just digging in my ski pole tips. And I did stop. And the lesson, the lesson that I learned there was, <laughs> yeah, to use, well, obviously use better judgment. In fact, going down a steep snow slope, a rock hard steep snow slope that doesn't have a safe run out is phenomenally dangerous. A friend of mine, a minion as a matter of fact, was doing a climb on the Rapahoe's um, and he fell coming down a snow slope and you know, traumatic brain injury in the hospital for months. And 
he's he's recovering fine. It looks like he's gonna be he's gonna be fine, but it's very very serious business and sort of lucky to get away with that one. And and it was just because I was going for speed and I took too much risk. It wasn't wasn't worth it. It was stupid. That's an excellent example. And what highlights for me in both these examples is perceived danger and danger are very different. So a lot of times you find vertical terrain, uh, there's a lot of exposure. The mind you know, rears up, oh, man, this is scary. This is very dangerous. But the real danger is situations can come on flat ground. You know, Alex Logan, he hit by the avalanche on Shishipanga, things like that. You're up there above timberline, lightning. Lightning doesn't mess around. I mean, it's not like you're going to fend it off. No, not at all. Yeah. And like what Being you said, a super uber athlete isn't going to save you if that funny. lightning hits you. <laughs> the first story is actually on Grazing Tories with the lightning. It was kind of funny that you also had an experience up there. <laughs> so Such a great... I mean, we're, we're really blessed in Colorado. We have lots of really neat adventures that you can do just in a day from your house. Yeah. So. And so as Bill's example... As well as Kyle's, you can just be walking on fairly moderate terrain, but if you go for a zipper, it can have fatal consequences. So we also have to note, don't be faked out by what it looks like. Danger is a little different than apparent danger sometimes. I mean, the Flatirons are a perfect example of that. They don't look that hard, to, and so you get up there, and all of a sudden, you're way above your head, and you read a story in the newspaper, you know, couple times during the summer of someone getting stuck up there or they fall that you know it's it's terrible and it's super sad but you know the people get in over their heads because it doesn't look that intimidating you're like oh it's not that steep it looks kind of featured you know especially something like the second flat iron you can kind of get halfway up and then you don't know where you're going and it's yeah it's it happens all the time you yeah. see people up there we scramble by people that shouldn't be up there but they are and you're like i really hope that person gets down so that's such a good point. In fact, yeah, the flat iron scrambling, if you see videos over it or anything, it looks trivial. <laughs> and for for ex, you know very experienced people, it's not very hard. Uh, but it is very, very serious. And I do worry about it sometimes when we'll go, because we don't really pause, that when we hit the rock and just start scrambling up, if there's other hikers or runner there, especially if they're <laughs> young college guys, yeah. I worry that they think, oh, that's, that looks easy. I'll do that, and you can get into big trouble. And we do hear about accidents and these things all the time. And the, the people who get stuck and get rescued, those are, that, those are the good ones. And it's embarrassing to, to go and be rescued, but way better than to oh, be yeah. embarrassed than to die trying to get down. If you yeah. screwed up, yeah, be rescued. What are your words of wisdom or your words of advice, or just whatever you want to say. This has been amazing. This has been a classic conversation on speed versus safety. I think everyone learned a lot from this, but what parting comments might you want to offer? Kyle? Yeah, I go back to sort of having this foundation of practice, and I think it's ultimately best when uh, you're motivated uh, to get outside other than sort of competition or sort of ego or chasing records. I think when you have a foundation where you're really passionate about the outdoors and the landscape, I think having that as sort of the base is what leads to sort of a long-lasting sort of passion for getting outside. Mine's quite similar in that don't, don't be in a hurry. Don't be in a hurry to be really fast. You know, people who 
try to join the minions and say, ah, oh, I've, I've done the second flat iron, which is really common, a bunch of times. So I'm, I'm ready to get out and, and try these other climbs, and I want the minions to show show me them. And we say, we don't, we don't teach it, we don't guide it, we don't recommend it. But if, but if you want to learn those new things, be safe about it. I always tell people, don't go solo those things on site in your running shoes. Bring climbing shoes, bring a harness, bring a partner. Do the route. It's going to be fun either way. You're going to appreciate it. And if it turns out, hey, that felt really solid. Next time, maybe you just come with your climbing shoes. And eventually, maybe you're doing it in a a scrambling shoe. But don't rush that. It's serious business. And just yeah, build up that relationship. And then if you do it slowly like that, then maybe you can go fast in a safe manner. But if you rush that, that's, that's a very dangerous thing to rush. Bill Wright and Kyle Richardson, two of the best. Thank you, gentlemen. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that was fun.